welcome to the Last Looks podcast, a show where we catch up with talented hairstylists and makeup artists in the film and television industry. We'll pick their super creative brains and find out all the good stuff. Join me, your host, Jamie Lee, in finding out what's what in the hair and makeup departments around the world. And now, our feature presentation. Today on the Last Looks podcast, I'm speaking with Gino Acevedo. Gino has gone from the role of prosthetic supervisor on various projects to now being a VFX creative art director at Weta Digital in Wellington, New Zealand. We chat about Gino's journey from sculpting costume masks in Arizona, working on exciting films in LA, and then moving to New Zealand to help create Middle Earth for Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. Last looks. Rolling. And action. Welcome to the Last Looks podcast, Gino. Hey, thank you very much, Jimmy. It's a pleasure to be here, and thanks for inviting me. Of course. Um, now, I would like you to finish this sentence for me, okay? Uh-huh. Once upon a time, there was a kid named Gino, and when he grew up, he wanted to be... <laughs> I knew that kid. Um, <laughs> that's an interesting one, because um, I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, and I loved animals, and especially snakes, and... Uh, reptiles and amphibians. So I thought about becoming a herpetologist, <laughs> Oh wow! which is, which is a person who studies uh, reptiles and amphibians. Yeah, um, that's cool. But uh, yeah, so it was a little bit of that. And uh, I also loved artwork. I loved drawing and painting all, all, you know, done it my whole life. And I think, you know, family and parents said, he says, oh, he says, you'll, you know, you won't be able to make a living out of being an artist. So I thought, oh, okay, well, I, I can do something with animals at least. And, you know, maybe I can just, I can draw animals and still have some fun. But yeah. then it wasn't, it wasn't until later on that I, that I really, you know, found out about makeup stuff. But, but even, even though during that whole time, I was always into monsters, always into the monster stuff. And on, uh, on Saturday, Saturday mornings in Phoenix, there used to be a TV show called The World Beyond. Mm. And they used to show all the famous universal monsters and stuff. You know, I was always glued to the TV watching that stuff. Of course. I feel like there's a little bit of um, crossover there with reptiles and monsters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and it's been, it's, it's actually, it's, it's been very, very useful for a lot of the shows that I've worked on, you know, like, you know, like Godzilla and, and, uh, you know, King Kong, you know, with the dinosaurs and all that kind of stuff to, to yeah. be able to supply uh, reference images. And even when I'm, you know, designing color schemes for some of the, the dinosaurs and creatures and that kind of stuff, I can remember having some of the, you know, my pets, <laughs> the snakes and lizards that I had in my bedroom. Oh, my God. You know, I had, I had the greatest mom. She was very understanding. But I just remembered all the color patterns and stuff like that. A funny uh, instance happened is when I was doing some texture painting on the Return of the King, there was a, a creature called the Fell Beast. I had designed the paint scheme at Weta Workshop first because I actually physically painted uh, a big model of it. Yeah. And um, then I didn't realize it, but then later on I was actually painting it digitally. And there was a texture artist that came up and she said, she said oh, it looks so cool. I said, you know, what, what, what reference did you use? And I said, oh, it's just a bunch of different stuff. I said, you know, you know this, this kind of white patch here below its eye reminds me of the Western Diamondback Rattlesnake. And the, the bluish kind of color and, and the black skin reminds me of like an indigo snake. And so, again, just pulling back all that kind of reference, you know, which was really, really useful. And, you know, and I use it every day. Absolutely. I feel like when I speak to makeup artists and especially those that are into monster and creature design and stuff like that, they really do have a thing for reptiles, ocean 
creatures mm. as well, just pulling from all all these amazing things in nature, really. And dinosaurs, of course, they love dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, some of the stuff in the in the ocean is just absolutely just insane. It's like you know, like like who designed this stuff? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so well, you can, you, some, some of that stuff you can just never never quite come up with. Um, but yeah, there's some really, really cool stuff out there. That's awesome. So at what point, so you're, you're glued to the TV, you're loving the monsters, like you still into that throughout high school and stuff like that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. a bit of a nerd, <laughs> just, you know, loved all that stuff and made, you know, the old Aurora, uh, model kits and watch and the magazines too, you know, of course the famous monster magazines. And, um, and there was one particular issue that I got. My very first one, I'll never forget it. I was with my mom. We were in a grocery store. And you know how they have the magazines in a magazine rack just before you go to checkout. Yeah. And I saw one there that was called, uh, I think it was called Monster World. It wasn't Famous Monsters. But on the cover of it, it had this uh, amazing photograph of this makeup of a, a thing called a reptile. Mm. Um, it was just an incredible, <laughs> incredible picture. And, and I just grabbed it and was going through it and while we were waiting in the line. And uh, I said, oh, mom, mom, can I please have this? She goes, oh, my God, no, no, look at that. That's terrible. And I said, oh, come <laughs> on, please, please, I got to have this. So she finally gave in and let me have it. I just, you know, you know, read it, started reading it on the way home and then got home, went into my room and just looked at every single page. And, and what was so cool about those magazines is that they would, they would sometimes show a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. And, okay. you know, that was I found that stuff, you know, really, really fascinating. So because of the magazine and showing you the behind the scenes stuff, I guess it instantly kind of gave you the idea that this is something that you can do as a job. It must have planted the seed. And it wasn't until a little bit later that I I saw the original Planet of the Apes, which came Mm -hmm. out in 1964, I believe, which was the year that I was born. But I didn't didn't see it until I was probably maybe six or seven years old. Mm -hmm. And I saw the film and just it blew my mind like it like it did with so many of, you know, my other friends and then colleagues and stuff. And but what really what I was really fascinated with was I saw this documentary on John Chambers and it showed how the whole process of the of the face casting and sculpting the appliance and making the appliances and gluing them on and then the coloration. And that's what really blew me away is that when you put the color on on mm-hmm. the appliance and onto the skin and then it all becomes one. One. And it becomes like a new skin. I just found that so fascinating and so incredible. I thought, wow, you know, I, I want to be a monster maker. So how old were you when you saw that? I must have been around maybe 10, mm. you know, something like that. It's pretty cool for that to hold your attention like that. Because, I, I mean, obviously you were drawn to it because uh, so many other kids would be like, yeah, yeah, I don't care about this. <laughs> Uh, absolutely. And, and the thing too is I, because I was always so fascinated with, with apes anyway, mm. I always had this infatuation with them. And, and then when I saw Planet of the Apes, it's like, you know, talking apes, you know, it was, it was just, it was the perfect film. And I, you know, you know, watched all the films and even the TV series, you know, it was glued to the TV. And my friend, uh, Dwayne Guarneri, <laughs> back in Phoenix, wherever he is now, but we would, you know, watch, watch it. And while we, while we would watch it on TV, we'd have some clay and we used to sculpt little figurines of the Planet of the Apes. And oh, then came so cool. then came the time that they they took it off the air. It's like oh no! And 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 Dwayne and I we wrote to the studios. I think it might have been NBC. And mm. anyways, we wrote to the studios, and um, never thinking that you know we'd ever hear back. And it was Dwayne's mom that helped us write this thing and, and send it off. And we got a reply back, and it was on the letterhead. I, I wish I still had this letter. And they they're saying you know thank you so much for the support. You know unfortunately because of a uh, you know lack of interest, uh, we've had to uh, you know 
pull it off the air. And it's like, you know, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> to think of that now is kind of insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, and I think we even sent them some photos of our, of our sculptures, <laughs> of these little gorilla heads. That's so cool. Hopefully they pass those images or like those pictures on to um, to the team who actually made the show. I cool. hope so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple of uh, really nerdy fans out there in, in Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure all over the country. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. So how do you figure out that that's the direction you're going to go into for a career? Well, it was um, my real break was when I graduated from high school and I went mm-hmm. started going to college. I went to Phoenix, Phoenix College. My seventh and eighth grade science teacher, his name is Francis Reinbrecht, and we, we got to be very good friends just because I used to take care of all the animals in, in the, the lab there. And, you know, of course, we had snakes, lizards, rats and rabbits and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I was kind of like the caretaker. And I even cared, you know, took care of him even through high school. I think it was must have been my senior year. Francis said that he just got a student teacher working with him, and her name was Patricia Liff. And he said that Patricia just married this gentleman by the name of Larry Liff. And uh, Larry owned this Halloween company in Phoenix called Imagineering. Now, Imagineering was the company that came up with the uh, the old vampire blood and those plastic evil uh, evil teeth, you know, the vampire teeth. Yeah. That you'd buy in the stores. Mm. There was also, they also fabricated this uh, makeup thing called the, the face which was designed by my friend Barry Coper, which we'll get into later. But anyways, but Francis had a talk with Patricia and he said, hey, look, you know, one of my, my ex-students was really into, you know, the monsters and makeup and he loves Halloween and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. and he's just about to graduate out of high school. And uh, maybe you can set up a meeting to have him meet Larry and, you know, who knows what will happen. And so, you know, Francis told me to put together a portfolio and stuff. And I, as I said, I waited a while and then waited probably a year and finally made contact with Larry. And I went to go see Larry. I still had my, uh, my three piece, uh, tan, uh, graduation suit from, from, uh, from high school nice. that I wore nice polyester. Mm-hmm. And um, went to go see Larry, and I showed him my portfolio, which didn't have any makeups or anything like that. It was mostly drawings and you know Dungeons and Dragons and all that kind of stuff. Nice. Larry said, "He says, oh, this is you know this is great stuff. You know, it's nice to meet you." I said, "You know, buddies," and um, he says, "I really don't have anything for you at the moment." He says, "Eventually, I want to get into making some Halloween masks." Mm-hmm. But I'm not quite ready. It's probably going to be another six months or so, you know, so I'm sorry, but I can't offer you anything right now. And the only thing I have is for you to work out on the on the factory line. And I said, oh, really? And um, he said, yeah, come on, let me, let me give you a tour. So uh, we went through the, these hallways and these two doors opened up and I sort of got, I felt like Charlie from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It opened up <laughs> and all these machines, they were making the vampire blood and the evil teeth are over here and the oozing orb, which is this this eyeball thing. And it was just like, I was in heaven. It was like, you know, this is a place where they make Halloween. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it was really, really cool. And Larry said, he says, I don't think you'd want to work out here. It's pretty monotonous and everything. I said, yes, I do. And he said, okay, well, if you want to work out here, it's, you know, it's you start early and you finish at around, you know, three o'clock. <clears throat> and so I, I did that. I did that for six months. I worked out in the line. So I was even, you know, making some of the vampire blood and, and the plastic teeth and all sorts of stuff. And then um, six months later, Larry came looking for me and I was working out on the line. He says, well, you see, I see you're still here. So I guess uh, you're pretty dedicated. He says, so that's good. He said, look, I think I'm about ready to, to start thinking about doing some of the, the masks like I like I talked about. So uh, I'm going to pull you off the line and, um, and get you set up in this little room in here. And then, um, you know, and let's let's talk about some how to make some masks and stuff. 
And uh, I think that the question came up is like, you know, do you know how to sculpt? And I said, yeah, yeah, of course. And so I didn't have a clue. You know, I think the only thing I sculpted were those little inside of the ape heads, you know, thank God yeah, at least yeah. I did those. But anyways, that's kind of how I got started. And, and Larry said that he knew of a, of a company in Los Angeles called uh, Vix Novelty. It was a company that made a lot of like the rubber snakes and things like that for, uh, uh, for Disneyland. But they also made a lot of latex masks and things. And so Larry had paid Vic Provenzano, who owned the company, paid them like I think $15,000 or something to have me go over there and stay for a few months. And basically they were going to train me the, the basics of how to set up a production line and how to make the latex masks and stuff. Uh-huh. And so it was like, he says, wow, this is kind of like my first time away from home for a bit and everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and going to this the crazy Hollywood area because he was in North Hollywood. Wow. And it was funny because uh, Vic Provenzano, he looked like, um, who's that? The, the guy, he used to do all the gymnastics and everything. And he had, he had like the big curly, fuzzy hair. Richard Simmons. Oh, Remember, remember Richard Simmons? He <laughs> yeah. looked like Richard Simmons. And uh, it, was, it was really hysterical. Anyways, he took me through through the factory there and, you know, showed me all the snakes and stuff. And the place just stunk so bad because it was, it was all hot, hot melt vinyl. Oh. And um, so I don't know if you've ever smelled that one. That's being cooked up, but it's, it's pretty mm-hmm. nauseous. And he had all these barrels of all these snakes and stuff. Of course, I thought, oh, these are so cool. He says, oh, you can take all you want. And, uh, <laughs> and I grabbed this one big, this big thing, and I, which I thought was a snake. But actually, it was a big dildo. And I, went, <laughs> and I threw it back in the thing. I said, what the hell? And Vic says, oh, yeah, that, that's my other company. It's called, uh, my other company is called Better Than Leather. We make adult novelties. And I thought, Larry never told me about that. uh, welcome uh, to LA (laughs) exactly and so I thought okay and then all of a sudden I looked around and as I looked around I see all more and more adult novelties being made and I remember seeing this this uh long table that had these grinders on it and it had like a like a dozen of these Mexican women just grinding the seams off of these big dildos. Oh, <laughs> it was just my like, God. oh my God. <laughs> uh, so that was my uh, my first day at, at Vic's Novelty. That's amazing. Crazy. So then you went back to Phoenix and handed all that knowledge over and helped helped him get the masks off the ground, I take it? Yeah, we, we talked about it and I think by then uh larry kind of realized that he says oh i think this is going to be more than we can actually handle and and then he found out that there were some other companies down in mexico that actually manufacture masks and stuff so we went down there and um and used one of the existing factories to, to manufacture our masks and these these are the masks that um at the time um i hadn't sculpted any yet but uh, uh barry coper who is a friend of larry lifts and uh, Barry was a makeup artist in Los Angeles. At the time, he was head of makeup at CBS. And Barry and Larry were friends. And, and Barry would come to Phoenix once a year to do the makeups for all the new products and stuff for the catalog. Mm-hmm. So I met Barry that way. And he kind of took me he took me under, under his wing. And we got to be great friends. And he's like my, you know, my big brother. And the, the whole ironic thing about this is that Barry was actually taught by John Chambers. I mean, how spooky is that? <laughs> it was so That's bizarre. Amazing. And... Um, <laughs> And so anyways, Barry was doing a lot of sculpting and stuff for Larry. And as I said, he developed this thing called the face, which is a really cool uh, makeup kit. We would take those uh, uh, sculptures and I would mold them at, at, the, at, the, at Imagineering and we'd send the master molds over to, uh, over to Mexico and a place called Tecate, Mexico, which is just on the border of, uh, of uh, San Diego and Mexico. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So I would go there uh, again. I'd, I'd go there every every Monday. I'd fly into San Diego and I'd have a, a rental car and I'd drive into Mexico and to, to Tecate, which was only about thirty minutes away. Yeah. And um, I'd stay there for the week and you know and, and um, help them set up everything and, and be kind of like the, the QC person and just make sure the quality was was good with all these masks. So that was it was a really great experience uh, to be able to see all this kind of stuff. Yeah, and so cool that he was giving you just that opportunity to kind of oversee things and learn and manage stuff really yeah it was it was a huge responsibility you know i was scared shitless but uh (laughs) but it was um but it was great i mean i just loved you know the fact that he he trusted me with everything and um he's he's like my my second father you know love him to death and he's still in phoenix and we keep in touch in fact i this year i I made him some vampire fangs and Uh so sent him sent sent him some fangs for 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 halloween (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. So when you like you're sculpting these masks, like these designs, and and when the first run of them kind of came through and you got to see it and hold it in your hand, how cool was that? Oh, that was incredible. I mean, I still love that. I I love to, you know, uh, you know, pour the latex into the molds and everything and then and let, let it sit for a while and then to drain it and let it dry. And I still get this like little kid feeling of like when you, when you actually grab it and, and start to, to pull it out of mold. And then, then you actually get to see, you know, your creation. Uh, it was just so exciting. It was uh, so much fun. And as, as I said, that, that part of the excitement still hasn't worn off. I still love it. Yeah, that's cool. Do you have any of those first lots of masks that were made? I do. I do have a couple of them still that are hanging around. And um, we had uh, we developed a, a series called the Character Masks, mm-hmm. which um, Larry never wanted to get into like the full overhead masks because he said there was a lot of other companies that were doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. He said, but at, at the same time, it's like you know, said, you know, have you ever ever worn one of those big masks? You know, and try to go to a party, yeah. it gets so hot and so uncomfortable, and you know. Yeah. So we designed these things called the Character Masks, which would basically cover most of your face, except it would leave the the mouth and the the lower jaw open. Nice. And so that way, you know, you can eat, talk and drink and all that kind of stuff. And it just had a strap, like an elastic strap that went around your head. And of course, the eye holes were really, really nice and big. So they were, they were pretty comfortable and they were really successful. So I had actually designed a lot of those, uh, those masks. And those are the couple that I still have. That's very cool. So I'm guessing from there, you at some point make your way to Los Angeles, right? Yeah, it was, um, Barry was always saying, um, I guess I was with the company for probably about five years, I guess, um, mm-hmm. before I actually moved to LA, but Barry was always saying, he says, come on, you got to move to LA. And, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and I would go out there like every other weekend to go and, and see Barry and Barry, Barry, you know, he introduced me to, you know, he, he, I got to meet John Chambers, which was amazing. Wow. Um, but he introduced me to Rick Baker and, uh, David Miller and, you know, all these great you know, makeup effects guys. And so, um, by doing that, it was great because I was kind of, you know, meeting these people and and knowing that someday, you know, I'd I'd make the move to go out there, but I I was too, too scared at the time, but also I didn't go because uh, my mother was, was quite sick. She had cancer. And, um, I was always afraid that something was going to happen to her if I was away. Um, but she was great. She was always pushing me out of the nest. She goes, Oh, go on. It says, you know, this is a great Mm -hmm. opportunity for you to, you know, to, to go and do something that you really love to do. And, uh, and one time Barry called me and says, he says, look, I've got a, I've got a gig for you. I said, really? And he says, yeah, it's, it's only for about mm, three and a half weeks or so, but you know, talk to Larry and I'll talk to Larry too. And I'm sure he'll let you take a leave of absence from Imagineering, but it was a gig over at NBC studios. And at that time, Bob Scribner was head of makeup over there. It was a takeoff of a, of a show that Dick Clark did. It was a takeoff of a show called masquerade. 
and it was like done back in the 60s, I think. And basically what they would do is that they would have celebrities come on stage made up as other celebrities. And it was like an audience participation thing where the audience, <laughs> through questions, had to kind of guess who they were. Oh my and gosh. in this case, um, uh, we did um, Alan Hale and Bob Denver, of course, from the Gilligan's Island uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. show. And um, I had to turn Alan Hale into W.C. Fields and Bob Denver into Mae West. <laughs> so uh, quite a challenge. And um, But it was, uh, an, again, just an incredible opportunity being there working in the labs at NBC Studios. You know, of course, I'm a huge fan of, of Gilligan's Island. And so, mm -hmm. you know, my head exploded when Alan Hale came in first. And uh, so we, and he's just the sweetest guy. And I had to take his life cast. And then uh, about an hour later, then Bob Denver came in. And it was so cool because the first thing that Alan said to the Bob, because they hadn't seen each other in a while, was, little buddy, how are you? <laughs> that was, that was his, his thing that he'd always say. Yeah. Um, anyways, and so um, then came the time to actually do the makeup for the show. And it was, um, with, like I said, Bob Scribner and Ken Schoenfeld was another makeup artist that was there. And so the three of us uh, applied and applied the makeups and stuff. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It was my first time of actually being involved with something like that. It was uh, just, you know, an incredible experience. Yeah. I mean, what, first time in the studios and going onto a set and all that kind of stuff? Absolutely. Yeah. And it yeah. was just so cool to see how it all works and everything. And um, then after that, we finished finished a bit early. So I had I still had like another week left in L.A. At this time, as I mentioned, um, Barry had introduced me to uh, Dave Miller, who's an amazing makeup effects guy. And of course, he's probably best known for doing uh, the first Freddy Krueger and the Nightmare on Elm Street. Awesome. Dave and I just became great friends. And at this time, Dave was working on part five called The Dream Child. Yeah. And Dave said, he says, oh, you got a week left. He says, you want to come over and, uh, you know, help me work on the film? It's like, oh, yeah. So I got to work in the, the shop, you know, for a week and painting the appliances and helping Dave sculpt some stuff. And, uh, and th that was another just incredible experience. And even down where, where Dave had a shop um, on Sherman Way in North Hollywood, uh, a couple of uh, shops down from him was Greg Canham's shop. Oh, wow. And so I would go take out the trash and I had to have to go by Greg's shop and peek in the little window there. And Mitch Devane <laughs> would be there sculpting right by the, the sliding door. And, and at that time they were working on Lost Boys, I think it was. Wow. Anyways, it was, it was really exciting times. Um, and then while I was still working at Dave's, I got a phone call from a friend and said, look, I'm really sorry, but your mother's passed away. And it's like, holy shit. And I said, I knew it. I said, I, I was so mad. It's like, it's like I knew this was going to happen. Yeah. You know, and so I was just so upset. And I told Dave, I have to go home. So I, um, you know, got a ride to the uh, to Burbank Airport and got a flight and uh, flew back to Phoenix. And it was just unbelievable. I just couldn't believe she was gone. And I've got a younger brother, uh, Dino. Yeah, mm. Gino and Dino. And, <laughs> You're uh, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, younger sister, Rosemary. And so I uh, met them there. And, and of course, my, my dad was there. Mom and dad had been divorced for, for quite a while, but, you know, dad was there. Mm. So, yeah, it was just, you know, trying to figure out what to do and how to deal with things. And uh, my sister was, was quite young. And, um, you know, mom said, he says, look, you know, I'd like for you to look after your sister, but if you can't do it, then, you know, she's going to go over to uh, uh, the grandparents to, to, to raise her. Yeah. And so I had kind of just decided to, to that now was my, my chance. There was nothing really holding me back now. Mm. Um, decided to pack up and move to LA and my sister went to the grandparents and my brother was old enough. He, he moved in with a friend of his, and uh, so, yeah, so that was that. And I just moved to L.A. And I think I continued working back with Dave on Nightmare 5 and stayed with him for a while working on a few other shows. 
And from there, I, I can't remember where I went to from there. I think from there, I went to work at uh, ADI, Amalgamated Dynamics, with uh, Alec Gillis and Tom Woodruff, and working on um, Point Break uh, with uh, Patrick Swayze, the first one. So we were making the, um, uh, the masks in that. And so I was hired um, just because of uh, my background in making the masks of the Halloween company. Yeah, yeah, the president masks. Yeah, yeah. So I, I sculpted the uh, Jimmy Carter mask. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I, I feel like you must have felt pretty good about your decision going back to LA, considering that originally your mum was pushing you to do that. So you knew that that would make her happy too, that you'd be going to do that. Yeah, it was. It wasn't an easy decision. I mean, I just, you know, I, uh, of course, I was close with my family and stuff, but it just felt like the right thing to do. And also, you know, with Larry at the Halloween company, mm. Larry was kicking me out long for the longest time. He says, yeah. you, 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 "You need to go." He says, um, you know, I, I, you know, he's like, "I don't want you anymore. Go." Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I don't want to go yet. And it's just a little uh, flight away to go home, you know. To visit, exactly. So yeah, yeah. Not, and and uh, it all worked out great. And 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 in fact, you know, the thing that sold it was Larry said, "He says, look, you can still design stuff for me. Just do it over there and ship it back to me." So yeah. I did that for. Oh, man, I, I did that even when I was out here in, in New Zealand. So I was doing stuff oh, for wow. Larry for, you know, like, like twenty five years. That's so cool. Yeah. Lucky him. Yeah, lucky me. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so how long do you stay in LA working? So mainly doing workshop stuff? Were you getting to go on set at all or mainly workshop? Um, I did. Yeah. I'm working with, with Dave on Nightmare 5. I got to go on set, you know, help them apply for Eddie's makeup a couple times and awesome. did some puppeteering um, because oh, in that film we had uh, the little the little baby Freddy. And uh, it was like this little, really cool little animatronic puppet. So uh, again, you know, what, what an incredible experience to, to go on set and um, meeting some incredible other makeup artists, because I think the show was so big that Dave wasn't able to take on everything. So it got split up with with a couple of other shops. Okay. So how are you, how are you learning? You're just learning all this stuff on the job, aren't you? Pretty much. Yeah. Um, I, I learned a lot just from uh, being back at Imagineering and I had my little, my little lab and um, just doing a lot of practicing on my own, you know, and mm-hmm. the. The only books that I could get a hold of are, uh, you know, Barry told me about some, uh, you know, the Vincent Kehoe book and Lee Bagan. And I would just do a lot of practicing, try to do practice on myself. But I, but I would, I, I hated makeup on myself. I'd rather make up somebody. I'm still that way today. Yeah. Um, but I had this uh, great friend, one of my best friends, his name is Greg Etner. He's a big old redneck in Arizona. But uh, so I, he, he, he would do anything for beer. <laughs> so, 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 I, said, I love and, that. And, and I saw I had I had the the, the, the most amazing book Bizarro by Tom uh-huh. Savini, and uh, I got that, and it was showing like you know how to make um, a fake arm and that kind of stuff. And I said, oh, I want to make a fake arm, a chopped off arm. And so I you know called Greg. I said, hey Greg, can you come back to the to the workshop with me uh, uh, tonight? I said I want to make a, a cast of your arm so I can make a fake chopped off arm. He goes, yeah, all right. And and um, and so. Um, you know, I'm looking at the step-by-step stuff and, you know, I've got the clay and I have the arms separated, you know, in, in the two halves, mm-hmm. you know, and I pour plaster on the, the first half. Well, actually, I put, first I put Vaseline all over his arm because it's a very important put Vaseline on the on the skin to protect the skin, but also so that the hair doesn't stick to it. Yeah. So I said, did that, pour the plaster on the top, and then we flipped over and then I Vaseline the underside of his arm. And put pour the plaster on that, and then he's and all of a sudden you know steam's coming off. He says, "says Damn, bro, this is getting pretty hot." 
I said, oh, that's all right. It's, it's going, it's called the, the, the heating stage. It's supposed to do this and then it'll cool down. It'll be fine. Mm. He says, well, it's getting really hot. I said, it'll be fine. And anyways, it's finally, I put a fan on it. So it kind of cooled down a bit and uh, then came time to open it up. And so we took off the mold off the, um, the underside of his arm first yeah. and it popped off beautifully. And it had like all the detail, like fingerprints and everything. I was just blown away. I was so excited. Yeah. And I flipped his arm over to take off the, the top half. Uh -oh. And started to pull it off, <laughs> and he's like, he's like, oh! I go, what? Is it? It's stuck. No, no, it's not stuck. He said, no, it's stuck to my hairs. No, it's not, because look, it says right here. I put Vaseline. I put plenty of Vaseline. <laughs> and Greg had fucking gorilla arms. Yeah, you know, he had lots of hair. And um, <laughs> but I think I think what had happened is that the plaster, you know, got warm and kind of melted away the uh, <laughs> the uh, Vaseline on his hairs. Yeah. And I tried to pull it, and he says, oh, no, no, don't pull it, don't pull it. And I tried to lift it up. So I, what I did is I got a little exacto knife, and I was kind of lifting up and just going like, bing, 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 <laughs> trying to cut these little hairs. He says, oh, just pull it. He says, what? He says, just pull it. And I thought, oh, all right. And uh, so he, he goes, wait a minute. So he, he slams down a beer, and then um, and then I get ready to pull it. And uh, you know that sound that Velcro makes? Oh, my God. <laughs> And then he screams and it's like, oh, but I looked at it and on the inside of the mold, it was amazing. Great detail. And, but inside it was like a carpet with hair yeah. stuck inside the plaster. <laughs> uh, but the cool thing was the mold fit back together perfectly. I poured latex into it. Then I poured polyfoam into it. And when I demolded it, uh, almost all the hairs came off into the latex. And so it was like, I had this, this hairy arm, which was great. You know, you, could, you, could, you couldn't punch it that good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that was that was the last time that Greg uh, ever volunteered to do anything for me. I love it. I just, I love the, uh, what is it? Just the persistence of just teaching yourself and wanting to learn and just striving, like pushing yourself to figure out how all this works and, you know, where to get the products from and the tools and the, like reading the books. And I just love it. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and it was like you know, and unfortunately we didn't, we didn't have YouTube or anything back then, so it was mm. just all, you know, just kind of trial and error. But one of the things that I did do was um, uh, when I had gone to that one year of, of college, um, I took a theatrical makeup course, oh, and cool. so that that taught me a lot of stuff. And then what I would do is um, I would also go around to the local theaters, like mm. there's one called the Phoenix Little Theater, and um, they were doing a, a play called Oliver. And they needed somebody to make up the character Fagin, where she's got like this really big, long, pointy nose and a, and a, and a bald head. And I had my friend Matt Marich, who was a local there in Phoenix, taught me how to mix up the old R&D foam latex. And so, and that was another thing. That was another godsend. It's like, you know, this is an amazing miracle, this material foam latex. It made, made all these noses out of the foam rubber and made, made of a bald bald cap and that kind of stuff but anyways but doing all that kind of stuff was another way of just actually just diving in there and and getting that kind of experience and you know learning from the mistakes and there were a lot of mistakes but you know definitely learned a lot a lot from that i feel like just going back because you said unfortunately we didn't have youtube and stuff but honestly i i mean it's probably a, a balance of good and bad but i think learning like that is pretty amazing Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and uh, I think I could have learned a lot, a lot quicker <laughs> if we had something like that. But uh, it was, there was, it was still so much fun to do. Yeah. And um, I think now it's almost, 
I don't want to say it's too easy, but it's like, you know, you can pretty much just get whatever you need off, off of YouTube now if you want to learn how to do something. Yeah. Um, and even with the makeup stuff, there's so many really, really good tutorials that are out there. And and and, um, and I do a lot of, you know, talks to uh, to students and stuff and people that want to get into it. And, you know, and I'll send them links to, to different sites on YouTube. I said, look, this was a really great one. I said, but the best thing to do is just to, to practice on on a friend or yourself and just do like a, a basic skull makeup so that you're teaching yourself, you know, the basics of anatomy of, of a face, mm. of like the skull and the bones and how things work yeah. and, and just learning how to do highlight and shadow, you know, doing a lot of theatrical stuff. And um, that was always a really tricky one because you know, with the theatrical stuff, you know, close up, it looks like it's like, wow, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. pretty, pretty, uh, pretty bold. But then, of course, you know, you sit in the audience and look at it and they look like real, real uh, wrinkles. Yeah, it's very cool. I, th I mean, there's something to be said for making a bunch of mistakes and learning from them. Mm, you absolutely. Know? And knowing like what not to do. <laughs> and, 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 the sh and probably shave the arm next time before. <laughs> <laughs> Poor bugger. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he probably has that story in his mind and has told it a many a time. Oh yeah, I think his, his, his arm is probably growing back like that. His left arm has twice the amount of hair that than his right arm. <laughs> That's awesome. So I want to know how you ended up in New Zealand. What happened there is like I was just jumping all around the different shops. You know, I, I got incredible time working with uh, with Rick Baker on a couple mm -hmm. of shows, um, Nutty Professor. And uh, then I was working with um, Howard Berger over at KMB FX. They were starting up on a show called Spawn, which was based on a comic book character Yeah, and Todd McFarlane stuff. And Howard said, he says, um, look, I've got a job. I would like you to come over and sculpt the suit on Spawn. It's like, oh, because uh, sculpt, I never thought that sculpting was really my forte. I mean, I was a decent sculptor, but I think I was, I was definitely a better finisher and painter, you know, than anything. And I told Howard, I said, oh, that's, that's, that's a pretty big, uh, pretty big ask, Howard. I said, uh, you should want to have other guys. And he says, no, nah, you can do it. I want you to do it. And so it was uh, myself and, uh, and a friend, Bill Zahn, uh, we sculpted the, the suit and based off of a maquette that the guys had designed. Yeah. And um, anyway, so it did a lot of work on, on Spawn and painted the appliances and even went on set, you know, a few times with Howard and uh, helped apply the, the makeups and stuff. And then one day Howard said, he says, um, I've got these, these friends that live in this, uh, live in uh, New Zealand. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, oh, I, think, I think I've heard of that place. And, uh, yeah. and he said, um, well, they, they have a company called uh, Weta, Weta Workshop. And uh, they, they uh, Richard and Tanya, and they um, they run the company, but they do all the the special effects stuff for um, uh, Hercules and Xena. And mm. I said, oh yeah, yeah, okay, I love that stuff. And he said, uh, well, they're they're crewing up people because they're gonna they're gonna do a remake on uh, King Kong. I said, they're gonna remake King Kong. Is it really? I said, who's directing that? And this is Peter Jackson. I go, who? <laughs> so I didn't even know who Peter was, and I hadn't seen Meet the Feebles or or yeah. brain brain dead or anything like that. <laughs> and, um, and Howard said, look, they're going to be coming out, you know, next month. And I've told them about you and, you know, they're looking for somebody who could do like finishing work and the painting and, you know, teach them the, the materials and how to apply makeups, blah, blah, blah. You know, even just to learn beyond of what, what, the, what they already knew. Yeah. And he said, so bring in your portfolio. Cause you know, they would like to meet you. I said, yeah, sure. So a month goes by, and then of course you get to meet Richard and Tanya, mm -hmm. and uh, we just hit it off right away. There's a you know they're just really really cool people, and um, just they said look we'd love for you to come out, and um, you know we 
you know, we know that your one of your fortes is, is painting. And they mm -hmm. said, that's one of the things that we were a little bit uh, behind on. Yeah. And I said, I said, and I was thinking, oh, okay, um, possibly. And I was just thinking, well, because I was already pretty well established in LA and I was quite happy there. Yeah. And to move to the other side of the world was like, mm, I don't know about that. And, yeah. Anyway, so um, we kept in touch. And I had from there, I'd gone to move on. I moved on to work with Patrick Totopoulos mm -hmm. <laughs> on, uh, on Godzilla, the Matthew Broderick one. Yeah, yeah. And so I was on that show. That's when I got the call from from Richard saying that, um, um, look, I'm really sorry, but it's, it looks like um, King Kong has fallen through. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, no. He said, this is, yeah, because you guys are doing uh, Godzilla. And then at, at this time, Rick Baker was doing Mighty Joe Young. Oh. And so the, the studio said, you know, we're not going to do another big creature destroying the city and stuff. So huh. pull the plug on it. But Richard said, he says, but, um, you know, Pete and I have another project that we'd love to bring you out for. And and um and of course it turns out that it was you know lord of the rings yeah and, and you're so like, what i'm sure yeah. you read the read the books yeah yeah and um so it was it was kind of towards the end of my time at, at, at godzilla and richard wanted me to come out just for a few weeks just to, to have a look around then he wanted to see how we worked together and you know how i liked it there and then you know, look at it, if it didn't work out it didn't work out mm. um so i took a leave, bit of leave of absence from patrick's place and went over there and by this time they had already been working on the doing some designs and concepts and stuff i'll never forget going into the weta workshop and asking richard so what, what are you what are you guys actually going to be doing on, on the film and he says well we're going to be doing the, the makeup you know the prosthetics the armor and weapons the miniatures and the digital stuff and everything. I said, Oh my God, you guys are doing everything like that. It's like, that's, that's insane. Yeah. Um, anyways, but then I got to see the designs and the designs were so cool and it was so fresh and original. And it's just because they're so far away from the LA scene that, mm. you know, they weren't tainted at all. And so for me, it was going to be exciting to actually design the paint schemes for some of these, these characters and creatures because it's, you know, it was so fresh and, and, and neat. And anyway, so I went back to LA and everybody's going, he says, what was it like? You know, what'd you see? I said, oh, this, I think it's going to be pretty cool, guys. Of course, I couldn't say anything. Yeah. So I finished up with Patrick, and then I went back again to, to New Zealand to work with Richard and the team and was out for, I think, three months this time. And by this time, I thought, oh, this is going to be pretty incredible. I could just tell that this is going to be something massive. We were still like another year away from actually going to, going to set because it was such a huge build wow. uh, for everything. Wow. And that's when I kind of decided that, you know, look, I don't really have anything tying me down in L.A., really. So, you know, and just I was renting the place. And, you know, mm -hmm. and so I, I decided uh, I sent out this blank email to everybody saying uh, that I've decided that I'm going to move to move to New Zealand. And so I got all these replies back. It's like, are you drunk? And I said, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I've decided this and I think it's a good idea. So I think this is going to be something really special. Yeah, and um, and went out there, and then I had a couple other friends that I came along as well. It was like, well, of course, Tammy Lane came out, mm -hmm. and then Bill Hunt, who was another great friend, an amazing sculptor and, and makeup guy, and who did a lot of work over at KMBFX. Yeah, uh, Bill came out as well. Yeah, so we just started on the Lord of the Rings stuff, and um, and uh, you know, it was my job to, like I was saying, to design the uh, the color schemes for some of the, the creatures and also for some of the prosthetics and doing the test makeups. And then when we finally started filming, I was the one who would apply for a lot of the characters. I'd apply them for the first time, like the noses, like Gandalf's nose and Christopher Lee's nose. I'd put them on for the first time and work out a color system. And then I would have to, then I would train up another and 
another makeup artist to pass it on just because I had to move on to, to something new. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it just kind of went on like that. And, and um, then that's when I you met, you know, Dominique Till and uh, Marjorie Hamlin, yeah. uh, who were, were also uh, prosthetics. We were like the prosthetic supervisors on the film and, uh, and Tammy as well. I can't tell you what an incredible time it was. And it was just unbelievable. And it was just almost like I think back on it now, and it's, you know, thank I've got I thank God I've got all these photos around me because it's like it was almost like it was a dream. <laughs> yeah, and it went for I mean, it, you know, that's spanning that's three films that they're pumping out, so it went for a while. And of mm. course, you were there before starting to shoot, like actually helping to build this Middle Earth that no one had kind of visually seen before. So that's yeah, I mean, you like that's your life, isn't it for quite a good chunk it was yeah absolutely <clears throat> and it was at that time that um during film two of the two towers mm. we just finished doing the fake body of uh, the actor sean bean who plays boromir mm-hmm. and uh, it's actually one of my favorite pieces that, that we've done um i love painting uh, replicas of, like human stuff just because yeah. it's the most challenging thing to do i mean i love my monsters but the, the human stuff is just you know it's because everybody knows what we, we all know what we look like and there's something off about that puppet you know that just yeah. kind of takes you out of the, the magic. Anyways, finish this um, this puppet. And Joe Letary, who runs What a Digital, happened to be coming through the shop that day just to having a look around to see what we were up to. And he saw this, um, saw the puppet, and he says, wow, this looks really amazing. It's just, you know, the skin is just really incredible and very translucent. And I said, well, part of it is is, is the material that we use, which is a silicone material, which already is, is translucent. I said, but I've come up with a technique on, on painting it. And I painted it all on the surface with an airbrush. And I, I paint it in such a way that it just adds another layer of, of depth to it, you know, by the way that I paint the veins and things like that. Hmm. And he says, says, wow, it really looks like, you know, the veins are deep in the skin. I said, it's just all in the technique. And Joe said, he says, well, you know, you know, that bust that you painted of Gollum, because I painted this little bust of, uh, of Gollum that, uh, that Jamie Bez Warwick had sculpted. And I painted like three of these because we were trying to figure out a, a color for, for Gollum. And so I painted these three silicone uh, busts and then PJ uh, finally picked out one of them. And anyways, that got sent over to what a digital. And at that time, what a digital was like this magical place that, you know, we didn't really understand really what they did over there we would just um you know uh paint these big uh maquettes and things like that and send them over and they would get scanned and you know the next time we saw them would be on the film and anyways so joe said well you know that bust that you did i said um you know the texture artists are really having a hard time trying to create what you've painted in there and you know and just looking at this and after you kind of explaining to me your your technique and stuff i said you know how would you like to learn some texture painting and I just, um, I remember, you know, saying, I said, well, does that involve a computer? He goes, yeah. And I said, no, <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. And he says, oh, come on, come on, give it a try. I said, I said, Joe, seriously. I said, I said, I struggle with my email, yeah. you know, and, uh, and to work on something so technical as that. He says, look, you don't even have to come to us. We'll come set up a computer in your office. And at this time, which it still is now, it's like uh, what a workshop and what a digital are literally back to back buildings, mm-hmm. uh, at least one of the buildings anyway. And, um, and so they, and I kind of reluctantly said, I said, uh, I don't know. And, and it was, it was actually Richard Taylor that said, he says, says, Oh, come on, mate. Try it. It's like, oh, all right. <laughs> Pushed you over the edge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so they set up a computer and, um, and Joe said, look, we're, we're going to have a, a texture artist come over and, and show you the basics of stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it could be kind of fun. It's like, maybe what you could do is a bit of a trade-off is that you could, 
you could uh, uh, show Sergey how you actually physically airbrush and paint. Right. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah. So we did that, and um, they got me set up, and so it was it was really difficult at first of, of learning how to paint on the computer because I was using mm -hmm. a Wacom tablet, mm -hmm. and you know, and you know, I'm used to painting and putting the brush or the airbrush exactly where I'm going to be doing it. But in this case, it's like, you know, working on a Wacom tablet and looking at the screen of getting that yeah. hand-eye coordination, you know, took me a while. But after a while, I just, I just, you know, had this model, digital model of Gollum's head. And I just pretended that it was, um, you know, a silicone head. And I just painted it with my usual techniques of uh, all the different modeling and, and the layers of veins and, uh, and uh, you know, the blotches, the moles, the freckles and all that kind of stuff. And, and then from what I understood is that once they got, once I finished painting it, it went off to another department called the shaders yeah. and the, sh the shaders are the guys that actually make the skin look even more translucent or dry or, or, you know, things like that. Wow. So that's how it all kind of started. And, um, I found it all really quite, quite fascinating. And it was about that time too, that, um, you know, Jurassic Park had already come out and everybody was kind of, you know, shitting themselves. It's like, oh shit. It's like, you know, there goes our jobs. Now, you know, they're just going to push D for dinosaur and they're going to get a digital dinosaur, mm. which obviously there's a lot more that goes into it than that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but everybody was really getting nervous about that with the computers kind of taking over some of this stuff. And so to be honest, I kind of saw the writing on the wall as well. And I thought, well, this is a good opportunity. So I think maybe I better jump on this, uh, this bandwagon and, and give it a go for a bit. And at the time over at What a Digital, they didn't really have like an art creature director kind of guy. And so I kind of became like the liaison between What a Workshop and What a Digital, kind of going back and forth. And so there would be you know, a lot of times that I would be uh, having to go on set, you know, with super early call times and then go mm -hmm. to What a Digital at, you know, eight o'clock in the morning and, 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 and do my stuff over there. So it was like doing two different jobs. Uh, so I did that for a few years. It was pretty crazy. So nice to still have, like, not completely jump over to the digital side of things, but to still have your hands on things in the workshop and kind of see see that stuff through as well. That's cool. It was, yeah. And that, that was really, really cool to be able to do that. And it's like, and, and to be honest, I do I do miss the, the hands-on stuff and, you know, still get involved, you know, from time to time, you know, doing some stuff. But it's uh, it's definitely a lot of fun. Yeah. So So what do you do now? So now I work um, in the art department and you know, we've got a really small uh, art department at here in New Zealand, but it's, it's actually spread out where we've got a lot of other artists that actually can work remotely all over the world, you know, doing concept design. So wow. one of the jobs that I do is uh, I'm, my title is creative art director. So doing some concept design, but also doing work on shows that we're working on at the moment where they'll, they'll get a render of a character mm -hmm. and it'll need some, um, you know, a bit of a paint, paint over work on it, you know, to try to change the color or if they want to, you know, add more liver spots to it or something like that. Uh, a lot of times it's, it's quicker for us to do it, you know, um, as, as a concept design, get a buy off on it and then hand it over to the texture artists and so that they can, you know, basically copy that as opposed to the, the uh, texture department, you know, having to do all these iterations because it does take a bit of time, uh, do all these iterations and then, you know, have it get going back and forth. So, yeah, that's pretty much what, what we're doing now is just uh, working on the current shows and working on, uh, on new shows, uh, doing concept design. That's very cool. Because looking at your IMDb, I mean, you have so many different kind of jobs that you've done, like roles within Weta Digital being the creative art director and then the textures supervisor. So what, what is, what's involved with that? 
So the the textures department, I was um, I looked after the textures department for about um, seven years, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And basically, what what the textures department does is um, textures is basically adding color and displacement to a to a character or or a, a model or something. You know, for instance, like um, like with Gollum, I'll use that yeah. as, as another example. So yeah. paint him, you know, get all the skin textures and everything. And for the displacements, what I mean by that is displacements are to get the uh, the pores. Mm. And uh, what they'll do is that they'll they'll paint up a black and white map with uh, with all the different gradations of, of gray, and basically like if if there's if anything's dark, it's going to be like a pore. It's going to be going into the skin, mm. and anything that's light or white is going to be you know it, it'll be positive like a like a mole or something. Yeah. And so they'll get all that stuff, and it all lines up to the color maps. And um, then there's all sorts of other maps, you know, to, to have like wetness. Like if you want to have a bit more wetness on the lips, you'll paint a, a separate mask for that. And so basically that was that was our job in, in textures. And it's not just with with characters and creatures and stuff, but also just inanimate objects. You know, it can mm. be everything from a uh, f- to a tabletop, you know, to get the wood grain uh, to a glass and you know all sorts of things. The film we did, uh, Tintin, was, was a, a major, major textures job just because everything in the film was CG. Wow, you know, so many of the other shows that we do, it's a mixture of CG and live action. Yeah, but in, but in this case, it was all all CG. You know, I think the the smallest thing we did was uh was like a, a map pin <laughs> that had to be textured, and then the the biggest thing we did, I think, was like the the Caribougeon, you know, the the big ship. Yeah, but uh, it was great, and it, and of course we did you know uh, Avatar, the first Avatar. It was just that was just a massive massive job, and at the, at one time I think the most we had was about. 50, little over 50 texture artists. Wow. Um, all working on different characters. And I mean, that's like you're creating a completely <clears throat> different world as well. So that's just, I don't know, what are you, are you copying textures that exist already? Are you coming up with your own, like for a fantasy world like that? Well, a lot, a lot of the stuff, uh, Jim uh, Cameron already had uh, his art department back in, in Los Angeles mm. where they had been working on it for a really long time and had come up with a lot of the concepts for a lot of the characters and creatures and including a lot of the, the color color designs and things mm. like that. But a lot of times it's like, we'll get a design, but once it gets textured and something doesn't quite look right, then it has to kind of be massaged a bit, you know, and changed a bit to, to actually to where it looks, you know, realistic. Uh, a lot of that, a lot of the stuff was, you know, taken from real life stuff. Again, you know, going back to mm. using snakes and lizards and, and amphibians as reference, um, you know, de- definitely a lot of that stuff was was done for Avatar as well as a lot of the, the, the foliage and, the, you know, the plant life and stuff. Yeah. What would you say is one of the more difficult textures to do? I think anytime you do um, a, a human likeness mm-hmm. is just... Um, really really a, a tough thing to do uh, again it's because if uh, it's like you know if you if you're walking down the street and you see somebody with uh, some sort of a you know unfortunate you know abnormality on their on their skin or their face you just your eye just kind of goes to it and you, you see mm-hmm. it or at least i do <laughs> but yeah so doing that kind of stuff was really challenging but uh, that's one of the things that that what is really known for and is, is so good at you know they have an incredible team across the board from the modelers to the shaders to the animation guys and then the people that rig the characters so that they they can move properly and then show off the muscles and things yeah so i would probably say just in uh, definitely a human character is probably going to be one of the most challenging things that, that i think is yeah i think that kind of crosses over into makeup too doesn't it like doing absolutely aging, yeah. like realism stuff is always a little more challenging the subtleties of 
the human human face. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and one of the, one of the great things now is like with the materials, since the materials have changed and silicone has come into our lives mm. uh, for the silicone appliances, that has just helped out such a huge, huge amount. But yet, it's it's pretty amazing to go back and look at some of the incredible makeups that you know Dick Smith did, you know, for yeah. like Amadeus on F. Murray Abraham. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite makeups that he's done. It's just so damn good, and it's all foam rubber. Yeah, you know, like what? It's just really incredible. <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. Um, now I'm not sure. This is just a, a question that I've always, I think, um, thought about myself, and I can't believe I haven't asked somebody who kind of works in your area or realm before. But when someone is like, when you have your group of artists that are doing the concept design for characters and then those characters are needing to be actually practically done with makeup appliances and hair and all that kind of stuff do those artists normally have any background in actually applying the makeups and things i think it's probably pretty pretty rare i think it's Mm. becoming definitely becoming more and more where there's more artists are are making that transition over Mm. to the digital side and um, I think it de- definitely something that that helps a great deal, you to know, if you background. have that kind of knowledge of, of being able to design something. Because so many mm-hmm. times, you know, we'll get a design from somebody which looks great, and and the director is bought off on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's like, oh, but you know, the, he's not going to be able to lift his arms because he's got these big horns sticking out of his shoulders and stuff. Just, if he lifts his arms, because he's going to poke himself in the side of the head. Yeah, I, and, the logistics and, and exactly. But then then they say, well, that's this is what the director bought off on. I said. Well, tell him that the creature is not going to be able to lift his arms in, you know. So yeah. th- that's where we have to do a bit of massaging, and then we have to kind of, you know, move move those horns a bit just so that he is able to do something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as I said, I think there's definitely more and more uh, artists that are making that transition to, you know, doing uh, a lot more digital stuff. And you know, one of the, the greatest uh, tools that that has come out over the past God, it's probably been maybe even ten years now, but uh, mm. ZBrush. Mm. Uh, just an incredible tool and you, you just do so much with it. And, uh, there's, there's shops out there now that are doing zebra sculptures and actually making appliances and they're able to actually, uh, make the molds and have them 3d printed. So it's just, it's a whole new, whole new way of thinking. And it's just a whole new process, which is really incredible. So what are the steps from that? So you're doing a scan? No, you're not even, no. What's the first step in that? line of i think from what i've seen it's like you know you first you start off with a scan of yeah. uh, of the actor yeah. and then you know from going off of a of, of a design you know in zbrush then then in zbrush you go in and actually sculpt the appliances whether it's oh. going to be a nose or something wow and then um and then from that they're able to uh take that nose and turn it into a negative and I, right. I'm, I'm, i actually haven't seen the whole process done but i've just yeah. i've heard about it from people but it's um it just makes sense that it's done this way and then turned into a negative and it's actually uh, able to, to 3D print it. Wow. So do you think eventually like the hands-on sculpting is going to be something that just slowly disappears, like having your hands in clay? I hope not. And no, I don't think so. I think it's, um, <laughs> there's, there's still something really tangible about the, about the clay and that you can definitely get that you can't get with ZBrush. Yeah, and vice versa. There's some things that you can get that are pretty amazing with ZBrush. You can't really do with with clay. 
Mm. Um, but especially when it comes to the 3D printing stuff, because you can you can print stuff that has all these undercuts and and all sorts of different things like that. That you, it would be a real nightmare if you were to have that sculpted and, and then to to mold it would be yeah. just a, a logistical nightmare. I guess it's so cool to they would be able to see that like if you're doing a full body thing to actually see that sculpt all together instead of bits and pieces all over the table. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's just like, you know, back in the old days where you would do a sculpt the whole thing together. So you see it together and then, um, and then cut it up, you know, so you do it in the, and you know, over overlapping pieces. Uh, oh, that's cool. And I, I just have to, um, my reasoning for asking about the creature design concept designers had experience with actually doing the practical side is because the few times I have been handed <laughs> A concept design <laughs> and just gone what <laughs> nobody has that much hair growing out of their head how am I supposed to okay this is all right <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but I mean you work it out and you find you know a, a happy a happy place to to be able to make it look real but also still have that design in there so it's just I always would just look at the picture and be like does this person have any idea of what hair can do yeah, <laughs> or what it not. can't probably do? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so it's always, always interesting to know the other, other side of what somebody else is doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so many jobs that you have done and also so many roles within this industry, what would have to be a couple of the more memorable jobs? Boy, it's, it's probably, you know, working, with uh, Alec and Tom over at ADI uh, was really a memorable time. And mm. uh, working with uh, Yuri Everson, Yuri and I were the shop supervisors there, nice. which was great. I mean, you know, we did the incredible shows, you know, like, as I said, we did the, the, the one with Patrick Swayze. And then we did, oh, then I was asked um, if I'd be interested in going over to, to London to go work mm. on Alien 3. Oh. Like, what? Serious? And I said, oh, yeah. Be amazing so Every boy's they, were, they were only allowed <laughs> to take over one two three four five i think six six of us yeah americans and then the rest of the crew had to be hired over there in london so we went over there and everything had to be built be built over there because we were shooting at pinewood studios mm. and at the time the film was going to be directed by a, a kiwi director but by the time we got over there things didn't work out and so that's when they got david fincher right. to direct alien three David was just, you know, great to work with. And he was just, he was just this young kid, you know, and at, mm. the, at the time his, uh, his uh, claim to fame stuff was, you know, directing the Madonna videos, the Vogue video and stuff like that. But he had, he just had an incredible vision and it was just a shame that he wasn't left more alone by the studios to just let him do what, what he wanted to do. And so oh. I think that the film uh, suffered from that. Yeah. So we did Alien 3, we came back from that and then worked on, uh, on Death Becomes Her. Oh, uh, cool. <laughs> with Meryl, Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn and Bruce Willis. And some and that crazy in, shit happens in that. That's fun. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, talking about materials and how materials change over time. Um, mm. This is about the, this is when we started playing around with the silicone material for making the puppets. Nice. We had this material called uh, 1068, which we were getting from Silicones Incorporated. It was very cool, very translucent. And by itself, it, was, um, it wasn't totally water clear. It was kind of a little bit milky. But you can add pigments to it, obviously, to 
tint it to like a flesh tone or something. Mm. But one of the problems with silicone is like, you know, nothing sticks to silicone except silicone. Yeah. And so trying to get paint to stick to it was, it was a real problem. And I think that's the problem that a lot of people had with it. But I was playing around with it one time because I, I love painting with acrylics and airbrushing with acrylics just because mm. I, and I also thin them down with, uh, with water and then with uh, isopropyl alcohol Yeah. and to get all sorts of different effects. So I started playing around with it and airbrushing a piece of uh, silicone with it. And of course it wouldn't stick to it, but then I found that they had, they had a, a, a silicone adhesive, a sealant. And, um, so I got the, uh, the silicone adhesive and I thinned it down with a really nasty material called methylene chloride yeah. and, um, thinned it down to like the viscosity of, of milk, you know, a little bit, a little bit thinner than milk. Mm. And I actually sprayed it through a big gun and sprayed it on top of my paint job. And what would happen is that the methylene chloride was so aggressive that basically it, it, it would eat through my paint and take the adhesive with it and bond itself to, um, the silicone underneath there. So it kind of sandwiched uh, my paint job in there and it worked incredibly well, you know, and you, you could rub it and it wouldn't rub off. And anyway, so that's when we uh, used for the puppets of, uh, of Merrill Street, because originally we were going to use foam rubber, but it's like, you know, yeah. again, it just wasn't going to look, you know, very realistic just because of the, the lack of translucency. Yeah. Yeah. So we did these really incredible uh, animatronic puppets of, uh, of Merrill and uh, Goldie Hawn using this new technique, which was just really incredible. And, and it looks so real. And uh, in fact, it was just on TV out here not long ago. And I was watching that and said, oh, I remember that. It was so yeah. much fun. <laughs> you remember it all right. It sounds like a challenge. Yeah, yeah. So once you've sprayed that on, could you then add more color to adjust if you needed to and it would actually stick to that or? You, you could actually, yeah, do yeah. that. And then, but you'd have to sandwich it in once again. Okay. And um, and it even took make makeup quite well as well because um, for the puppet, uh, we were working with uh, Merrill's makeup artist. His name is uh, Roy Helen. I would love to speak to Roy actually on this podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> and Roy helped us out uh, when I was painting it because I'm terrible at beauty makeup. So mm -hmm. Roy would come to help me do some of the, uh, the eyeshadow and, and the, the lipstick stuff. But we he was actually able to use uh, the real lipstick on the silicone, which worked out really well. So it was like the perfect color and it matched to Merle. And, oh, that's and, awesome. Uh, so it was pretty fun. <laughs> and then after that, I mean, another another show, a great one we did at ADI after that was um, Wolf with Jack Nicholson. Oh, cool. And uh, Mike Nichols directed that. Mm-hmm. And again, we used the, the silicone materials to make this really cool puppet head of Jack and uh, James Spader. Wow. And uh, which were just again probably some of my favorite things that we've done uh, over at ADI. Yeah, so it's hard to it's hard to answer the questions like you know what what's your favorite film that you've done because oh yeah, I've been, it's like been so asking lucky. what your favorite band is. You know, like what yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of questions that <laughs> Bee Gees. What do you mean? <laughs> is there any? Uh, is there something else? <laughs> <laughs> now i would love to know if someone at some point gave you some great advice that has really stuck with you probably comes back just from my upbringing from my parents i had you know two great parents passed away now but the thing is just to um don't be a shithead <laughs> just to and to treat treat people the way that you want to be treated yeah. you know that's that's a very simple thing yeah. Um, and even though you may try that it doesn't always work but it's you know 90 percent of the time it, it's it's good and I think it's just a good thing just to, to treat people with respect, you know, and just try to be happy. You know, there's there's so much anger in the world and even sometimes working on a set and, you know, there's, you know, working with artists, you know, can be challenging from time to time because yeah. there's a lot of animosity and there's, you know, jealousy and all that kind of stuff, which is just terrible. 
but yeah, I think that's probably the, the, the one thing is just to, you know, treat people with respect and just treat them the way that you want to be treated. Yeah. Have a great personality. Yeah. I think personality gets you a long way in this world. It's true. I think that's good advice for both personal life and professional. So yeah, your parents did a good job there. <laughs> Yeah. And what advice would you give to somebody trying to get into the line of work that you're in now? I tell a lot of students, I do talks to the schools and stuff. And um, yeah. I say, you know, that um, everybody wants to get a computer and an iPad and all that kind of stuff. And um, and I say, I said, look, not everybody in here can afford a computer or an iPad and that kind of stuff. But look, everybody in here can afford a pencil and a piece of paper. Mm. I said, going back to the old traditional roots of, uh, of just drawing. Yeah. you know, and sketching. I think it's really important to be able to do that kind of stuff. And of course, with programs like, you know, if you have the access to work with Photoshop and that kind of stuff, that's just going to be a huge benefit that's really going to help you for the future. It's like, I mean, I use I use Photoshop on a daily basis now. Mm. But the great thing is, is just to go back and to be able to uh, to do the, the old traditional stuff of sketching something, and then you can scan it and then maybe take it into Photoshop and do yeah. some coloration in there. So you're using the Photoshop as just as, a, as an advancement, as another tool. Yeah. And uh, which is which is, you know, a very, very powerful tool to to know and to use and just keep at it. Absolutely. And just, you know, keep practicing. It's like, you know, I always tell the kids, it's like, you know, keep practicing. It's like, I just, you know, I promise you'll never get too good. Yeah. <laughs> How boring if you did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, see, I'm always striving to, you know, to, to practice and to to learn something new and to, to try something new and different. And the other thing is just to to go outside of your comfort zone. You know, mm -hmm. every now and then I think it's really important. You know, it's it's easy enough just to kind of stay, you know, cuddle up in your little cave and, you know, not try something new. But it's every now and then you just got to really bite the bullet and, and uh, try something different. Yeah, just jump. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> so what is something exciting that you've learned recently? I've been playing around with uh, in, in, uh, in ZBrush. I'm still learning ZBrush. I, I love it. It's a great tool, but I'm still quite a novice at it. Mm -hmm. So definitely um, practicing with that. But um, they've got a part of the part of the program is that there's a thing called a fiber mesh in there where you can you can actually grow hair. Oh, wow. And uh, and uh, learn to kind of style it and that kind of stuff. So that that's pretty cool. It's it's quite quite a tricky one to do because you, you think when, once you're playing with it and start to kind of style it a little bit, you said, "Oh, that looks pretty cool." Then you get it in the render, it's like, "What? <laughs> that doesn't look anything like what it was supposed to look like." But it's just a uh, it's just a matter of of continue doing it and keep playing with it. And you just if you ask somebody how to use that program, you'll get you know a hundred different ways to do it. Yeah. You know, and um, and by practicing and this just goes for everything, just by practicing, you, you'll learn your own little shortcuts yeah. and your own little, little techniques, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I'd say that's probably one of the more recent things that I've that I've learned. This is so funny, Gino, to, talking about how you couldn't even figure your email out to I Photoshop on a daily basis and I'm learning ZBrush. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh, OK. <laughs> I'm not saying that it doesn't come with the technical challenges. <laughs> no, and I mean, it didn't happen overnight either. So, no, no. you know, but those changes can be made. But it's funny because it's like I'm always calling the IT guys at work and, I'm, I, and, I, and I, I joke about it, but I, I swear there's there's probably like a red button up there that says Gino. <laughs> and then they, they'll, they'll toss coins like, no, you get this one. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I'm glad to know that there's the, that you're still you know, coming up against some challenges. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I've stumped them a few times and I go, boy, we haven't seen that one before. I said, exactly. <laughs> of course not, because it's me. <laughs> so I can, you know, I'm just, I'm technically challenged and uh, these things happen to me. Uh, uh, well, you're doing well considering, right? <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs>
<laughs> so tell me, what kind of project have you not worked on that you would like to? Uh, way back, I, I w- would have loved to have worked on Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. I thought that would have been a cool one. But I was busy working on you know, the other shows and stuff and would have loved to have worked over at, uh, at Stan Winston's. You know, I had a lot of friends over there, and uh, but never, never had a chance to, uh, to work there. You know, I got to meet Stan a couple times, and, and in fact, Stan came over to uh, the ADI shop because Alec and Tom used to, you know, we used to work work there at Stan's, and so Stan came in, and Stan, being the, the funny guy that he is, you know, he came up to Yuri and I, and he says, "Uh, he says, uh, you have it here? Like, yeah." He says, "Um, you know, come 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 work at my place. I'll, I'll pay you twice what they're paying you." <laughs> it's like and Alec and Tom are just going like, "Yeah, thanks, Stan." Yeah. But, uh, That's awesome. Now going back to like just earlier you you mentioned i think it was when jurassic park came out and people were just like you know you'd push Mm. d for dinosaur and that would pop out so i guess in the makeup world as well just the makeup effects artists have had fears i guess of being completely replaced by cgi i'm sure people have kind of moved away from that fear a bit more now just you know finding our practical footing in a digital era but what are your thoughts on that do you think it's ever going to completely be replaced i don't think so i think i think what what happened you know back in the days of the you know after jurassic park is that you know the cg stuff was the the flavor of the month and so all the films that were coming out and you know they had so much cg and so much bad cg in it it's like oh the stuff that always looked good was obviously, you know, because the show had a budget, you know, a decent budget to be able to, to spend the money on it. And just, you know, great, great people doing the, the digital stuff, you know, mm. I'll, you know, speak out to what the, the guys at What a Digital, you know, doing really incredible stuff. But as far as being replaced, I think what's happening now is that there's, it seems like there's like a resurgence happening now of uh, practical effects coming back into the, the film industry. Mm. And I think it's um, it's because there's a lot of directors that love to see stuff in camera. Mm. You know, they, they want to see the puppet. They want to see the makeup. Mm. And the, the, the cool thing is, is like, you know, even if you have a, a puppet, there's obviously there's limitations that that puppet can do. And there's also limitations that a CG thing can do as well. Mm. But, you know, but when if you have something in camera, you can always add digital, you know, on top of it. Yeah. to uh you know to change it or whatever but i think it's you know it's a tool and um and it just needs to be used uh, wisely and i think it's already showing that there's definitely a, a bit more films that are coming out that have a, a mixture a mixture of both you know guillermo del toro of course is he's, he's a great director and a lovely friend he's definitely one who pushes the boundaries of, of trying to get as much practical into his films as possible he uses cg really wisely you know mm. and he uses, he uses both of them you know quite wisely yeah, when you see those two melt together really well, I mean, it's beautiful. Mm. So yeah. just bringing those two worlds together, it's and when it's done properly, it's and you can't tell what's what. Exactly. Someone like me, I can't tell. But it's also like you know, like in the, the film with um, when we did Planet of the Apes, that was just phenomenal work. Um, that was done there and it was such a blessing because to be able to kind of go full circle mm. i'll have to say that that's probably one of the other films that i wish that i could have worked on was be like the original planet of the apes that could have been incredible yeah i'll never forget when we when all my friends back in la found out that we were going to be doing planet of the apes you know a lot of them makeup friends say, hey my bags are packed you know my make- makeup kit's ready i'm ready to come out to do some makeups and it's like uh <laughs> well i read the script but uh it's all going to be digital it's like what and I said, yeah, because because of the design is just, you know, they're kind of humanoid, but it's more ape-like. And it's just, it's not going to work with makeups, unfortunately. Yeah. And, you know, I said, oh, you traitor. It's like, <laughs> just wait. And then when a film came out, they're like, oh, yeah, okay, now we see. 
But, um, <laughs> so was that figured out like immediately? It was just like, no, it's going to be digital. We won't be able to do practice. Or did they actually, did they do some tests to see if it could be a mix? No, 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 no tests that I'm aware of. Yeah, um, it was, I think it was it. always known that it was going to be uh, digital. Yeah. And well, what's what's incredible about it is like, you know, when the first film came out, of course, the technology was just, you know, it was stuff that nobody had seen before. It was really incredible. But then by the time we get to the third one, War for the Planet of the Apes, mm. that stuff was just mind blowing. I mean, even though I worked on it, I'm just, you know, blown away by it. The great, great performances, great animation and just the you just you forget that you're looking at a, at a CG character. Yeah, totally. I, I think it brings so much more emotion to the for the viewer as well. It's just like because it just seems all so very real. Yeah, exactly. That's very cool. Are you working on more than one project at a time in general? Usually, yes. Yeah. yeah. So what are some things that have come out recently that you've worked on? I worked on a, a Shang-Chi. Oh, yeah. Cool. See that? That was, that was great. That was a, mm-hmm. a, my daughter's really into Marvel stuff. And yeah, yeah. Her name is Ruby. And so we went to go see that and really enjoyed that. Yay. That and it's work on the Immortals, which just came out as well. Oh, cool! Nice. There's a lot of there's a few other things that are still waiting to come out. Um, see when see when that happens. That's very cool. And um, in your day to day workings, if I took away one thing from you, what would you not want that to be? My iced tea. <laughs> <laughs> the American is still drinking iced tea, and you're in New Zealand. Where are you getting this iced tea? Yes. Well, everybody will laugh at that because they know how I love my iced tea. You know. And I miss I miss my Jack in a Box iced tea, the, the the quencher, you know. So who would take that away from Gino, and he's going to lose his shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh my no, goodness. but I think as far as like a, a tool or something, it'd yeah. probably be uh, my airbrush. You know, I just love my airbrushes, and yeah. uh, I've got I've got one airbrush um, that I bought from a World Art Supply in LA. Mm. um shit probably 30 years ago but it was called a, a iwata i love iwata mm-hmm. it's called a custom micron and uh, i had been reading about it and i couldn't wait to get it so i finally got it and uh, it just changed my life because it was great for illustration stuff because you can get such a super fine line with it ah. and um so I'd, I'd say my my airbrushes and um uh, another material which i, I love is uh, the mac anti-shine that's been just a huge lifesaver. Love that stuff. But in the in the clear tube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's my. Uh, you know who put me onto that? Tammy Lane. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, and it was for I think it was on Hobbit, just with the you know gluing the lace down of those wigs and beards and uh, into the silicon pieces, and um, we all got a tube of that to knock back the shine if we needed to. And I I still have it in my standby in my set bag. And any yeah, time no. I've got a little bit of shine, I just on my lace, so I knock it back with that. Absolutely, yeah, that's yeah. great stuff. And before that, we had another one. It was called. It was just called Anti Shine. I can't remember what company made it, but uh, we used that back on on rings. And I loved using using it on the uh, on the noses, like on Gandalf's nose and uh, Christopher Lee's nose. And when I did the first ones, yeah, it's just because they were out of gelatin, and you know the gelatin leaves a bit of a shiny edge to it, and this yeah. stuff just really knocked it back. But it was, um, I saw you had an interview with uh, Rick Finletter, yeah. who's a, a brilliant uh, uh, artist. Love that guy. And he, he had taken over and, and did uh, uh, Ian McKellen's nose. Did a beautiful yeah. job on that. I loved talking to him, actually, because, you know, I've worked with Rick, spent a lot of time with him throughout 
Hobbit and he actually gave me my first job on a film on King Kong. I was harassing him because I didn't have uh, Peter King's details at that point. And Rick <laughs> emailed me back and he's just like, oh, thank you for reaching out. You know, um, we've got our full-time team in place. And I emailed him back and I said, no, no, Rick, I don't think you understand. <laughs> <laughs> you need me my finger waving is amazing (laughs) and he was like all right all right so he came into the salon I was working in and um to get a haircut before he he shaves his head head now so but yeah and I gave him a haircut and he was just like okay we'll have you come in and help out and see how you go and then I was yeah did some additional work on there and that's where I got all my wig experience so yeah Rick is a favorite of mine. Oh, great guy. So yeah. you were on King Kong too. So we must have crossed paths somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was, yeah, I was doing both being on set and doing the, the makeups of the Dominic Till. And then of course, going back to Digi and doing the digital stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. I just, um, on that, I was pretty much, um, in the windowless makeup room, just doing wig after wig after wig. That's how I spent my time on Kong. I didn't go into set very much. Oh, okay. But yeah, that's awesome. And I would love to know, Gino, who you would like to hear on the podcast. Boy, there's so many. Can I say two? Of course. Okay. I would love for you to interview my my great friend and mentor, uh, Barry Coper. Okay. uh, Who's who's in LA, just because he's had quite a life of uh, working on some amazing projects and stuff. And, you know, did the, the incredible makeups on Santa Claus. Really, really beautiful stuff on that. And then, of course, the other one would be uh, my great friend, Dominique Till. Yes, I, <laughs> I have harassed Dominique and she is interested. So okay, I think good. we will eventually get around to that. Yeah. Fantastic. That's awesome. Well, Gino, thank you so much for joining me today. It has been a lot of fun. Well, thank you very much again for the invite and uh, love your podcast. It's great to, to hear my old friends and colleagues. So uh, keep going. Yeah, thank you. To see more about our guests, go to our Instagram at The Last Looks Podcast or our website, thelastlookspodcast.com. If you want to keep up with new episodes being released, be sure to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, YouTube, or any podcast streaming platform. And remember, if you're enjoying the show, share it. The Last Looks Podcast would like to thank Brett Stanley and Sabrina Castro. The song Fun Time by DJ Quads. Thanks for listening. Until next time. That's a wrap, people.